My name is Brian Featherston. Uh, I'm here on behalf of my family to request information in relation to my son's murder back in September of 2009. This is Shattered Lives, an Irish Daily Star podcast. I'm Paul Healy. A young dad brutally murdered by people he thought were his friends. An abandoned car, missing for months. His parents fearful of the worst. Eventually, the remains of Kenneth Feddersen were found dumped in the Dublin mountains in January 2010. By that stage, Kenneth had been missing for four months. Over the years, several suspects had been arrested and a file eventually went to the Director of Public Prosecutions. But even though the Gardaí felt that they had a case against the people they believed murdered the young father, the DPP ultimately decided that enough evidence had not been presented to bring them to trial. Thus, the case went cold. Throughout the years, Kenneth's father Brian has continued to fight for justice and has never given up on hope. That hope was somewhat rekindled when in January of last year, Gardy launched a new cold case investigation into the murder. Brian sat down with us for this podcast to speak about the loss of his son. He also spoke about how he felt the system has let him down so far. But he says he can die happy when his son's killers are finally brought to justice. Uh, Brian, thank you for joining us. Um, it's a pleasure to speak to you, as always. Um, let's just... Uh, would like to just let our listeners know a bit about you and, and, and a bit about what you've gone through. Um, if you want to tell us a bit about Ken and, you know, your memories of him. Oh, that, <laughs> that goes back a bit. Like, from the day Ken was born, like, he was just like any other child. Uh, running the streets, getting into development, but it kind of when he when he when he used to come out with me working all the time, uh, he'd be out on the coaches going around with me from the time he was a baby, loved bus driving, and when he got old enough, he became a bus driver. He went into Dublin bus and learned how to drive properly, and um, spent. Oh, Spent a couple of years there and then he left there and went working with uh, Jillway coaches doing the open top uh, city tours. He also did a bit of uh, tour work for me around the country and uh, he he ended up with a, a girl, Gemma, nice girl, and they had a baby. And uh, when that child was three years of age, Ken disappeared. He was after getting involved with a few lads and opening up a garage to repair cars, do up cars, make them look fancy, put the go-fast stripes on them, you know, and straight through exhaust, make them real noisy and great idea, make them sound fast. So just to give people context, Brian, he, he, was he a mechanic? Was that his job at that point or what, 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 what? He was a professional coach driver, but in the, in the summer months, Things would be very, very busy. And in the winter months, there'd be nothing doing. So um, he wanted to do something else with his time. And uh, he decided he'd get into these cars and start doing them up. Uh, respraying cars, buying and selling cars and respraying them. As I say, they go fast stripes and they straight through exhaust and all that carry on. 
So he's obviously quite handy. He was a he was a handy guy in his spare time. He was very handy because he had spent a lot of time with me working both on the vehicles and under them. So he picked up a fair amount uh, over the years on how to repair stuff. So we got into that with a couple of lads and uh, foolishly he lent out money which he was after getting through an accident claim that he had um, where he had broken his ankle and uh, he got some money as a, a settlement on it and of course he lent out money thinking the world of everybody that he'd be paid back no problem but of course when he went looking for the money it was a different story and uh, that's basically when he went missing and it turned out three months later he was found having been murdered and dumped like disposed of like just a piece of rubbish let's let's just talk about that day brian can you remember getting that phone call on on the 22nd of september 2009 uh ken went missing um ken went missing that day on the 22nd of september his mother went to the guards um i got her out of work i couldn't contact ken anywhere he was supposed to be going away to do a job for me down in um, the west of Ireland. Because at that stage, I was quite ill and I was just starting cancer treatment. And uh, he was going to take over everything I was doing and just leave me to get me treatment. And um, he hadn't been in contact with me. Uh, so on the Tuesday, I went looking for him. And there was no sign of him anyway. He was meant to be going away on the Thursday. And, uh, so it was you that raised the alarm. You knew something was up pretty soon. There was something not right. He should have been on to me. I figured he'd have been on to me on, on the Monday at some stage. He'd have made contact with me. He didn't. So I rang his mother on Tuesday. She was in work. Asked her had she seen him. Um, she said yes. She saw him on the Monday evening. He was after dropping in his washing to get sorted out and uh, had collected it. And um, she said, he's around somewhere. Has he not been on to you? I said, no. So I rang Gemma to see, was he, had he been on to her? Had he, that they made contact? She said, no, uh, he hadn't been on to her, which was very unusual. He was speaking to her, I think, on the Monday night, but she hadn't heard from him on the Tuesday. And... Um, it was unusual because he'd always be on about the baby. He adored the child. Absolutely adore. And he wouldn't allow a day go by without being in contact about the child. So I rang his sister and she hadn't heard from him. So at that stage I knew there was a problem somewhere. Because he wouldn't cut off contact with everybody. I went up and got his mother out of work. We chased around a few of his friends and uh, nobody had seen him on the Tuesday. Nobody had seen him since the Monday evening. And uh, his mother went to the guards about it. And unfortunately, at that stage, they just figured he was a young fella. He was gone missing. Um, not so much missing. He probably just went off on a little holiday or was out around town or something. But he wouldn't be missing, like... He'd have to be missing 10 or 7 days before they'd consider him missing. And um, he said, no, there's, it's, there's something wrong here. It, it, 
he he should have been in contact, but they just passed it off. So they'd make a note of it, but they wouldn't be looking into it as a missing person at that stage. Just did you at that point have any, you know, reason to believe that he was that his life was in danger? That 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 you know potentially some harm might have come to him at that early stage, that first day. Um, I I said to his mother, I said, you, you do realize Ken's not coming home. He's he's something seriously wrong. He's either in a hospital or. The worst case scenario is he's dead. And like, she threw a wobbler big time because like, nobody likes hearing the likes of that. But I was just trying to look at it from a very positive perspective. Like, this is the worst case scenario. And the fact that he hasn't been in contact means he's not able to be in contact. If he's not able to be in contact, he's either in an ICU unit somewhere, in which case the guards should know about it. Or he's dead. And that's my feelings on it. And I think I have a horrible feeling that that's what's after happening. His mother didn't want to believe that. Um, I think possibly deep down she did believe it, but didn't want to believe it. And um, I think from the Wednesday, his sister came out of work and she started spending her days trying to track him down. And we were out and uh, everyone was going kind of frantic about it because the longer it went on, the more certain we were that what I had said initially was now coming into reality. And um, he, by the Saturday, his car was found in Gory, just outside Gory. So this was the red flag. This was the sign that something was really seriously wrong. At that point? Uh, when the car was found, I got a phone call. We had been out all day on the Saturday, traipsing through the mountains, looking for him. We got the car on the Saturday. I think it was, yeah, the car was on the Saturday. That was that was just after him being, going missing. The Saturday after him going missing, we got the car. Uh, that was in Wexford, in Gory. Just the fact that the car was in Gory, you know, would, 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 would your son have had any reason to be in Gory? No. No, Ken had no reason to be down in Gory. Um, as I say, he was supposed to be going to Limerick for me and disappearing down to Gory. That just that just wasn't on the cards. Um, the guards seized the car down there, examined it, and they accepted that it was now a missing person inquiry. And uh, they set up their incident room and so on. Nobody would speak to us about it because it was now part of a, an investigation. We were all interviewed uh, at length. And uh, time went by. We were out every weekend. The weather was getting worse. The weather was, it was one of the worst winters we had in a long, long time. And um, struggled through the Christmas. And the 31st of January, in the height of the snow, I got a phone call from the guards, from the liaison officer, telling me that a remains had been found in the mountains. They couldn't tell at that point in time whether it was human or animal. And uh, the scene was preserved. If I wished to go up the following day, they might have more information. 
So we went up the following day. We spent the whole day up there. There was another family there as well. They got the same message. And we just sat around for the day in the snow. It was horrible weather, absolutely dreadful. And the guards were there, searching, searching, searching. Nobody was talking to us, just that they were doing their job, which is okay, that's fine. And um, I told we to wait for, I think it was an anthropologist, they called him, had to be called out. And uh, that happened. Then we were told that there'd be no identification made until the following day. And uh, so the following day then, the guards arrived out to his mother's house. And when I saw them coming through the gate, I knew, I knew it was Ken that was found because they'd have to tell the other family as well that it wasn't their son. And what came through our gate was the top brass. And I said, well, they're not coming out to say it wasn't Ken. So they came in and broke the news that it was Ken that had been found. Now, it was a great relief that he had been found. But it was horrible that he was found murdered. Well, just just to give people context, Brian, I know you've spoken about this many times, but it, it wasn't just that his body was found there. I mean, it was it was. Firstly, it was four months, but but then secondly, they were body parts and not his not his entire body either. This was something that was all over the place and uh, you know that is something horrific um, but it gave you an insight straight away into the way that he had been dumped there the way that he'd been left there Ken Ken was like he never had any criminal uh, he, was, he was never involved in any sort of criminal activities ever um, he, he was just a happy-go-lucky kind of guy and he he wasn't covered up he wasn't put in a bag to be in any way preserved. He was just dumped behind a tree. And with the type of winter we had, there was it started with horrendous rain for about a month, month or six weeks. It was it was diabolical rain, dreadful. I had been out with a friend of mine searching for Ken and we were only just down the road, a couple of hundred yards away from where he had been found. And we could actually go no further. We were saturated and the road looked like a river. There was so much water flowing down. It was horrendous. And we said we would come back and start from there and continue along that road when the weather let up. It didn't. It changed to snow. And then the whole place got snowed in. Uh, Ken was found by a lady that was out cutting down the, the reeds to make the bridges cross. And she stumbled across him. And my heart goes out to her because what she came across had to have been absolutely horrific. Because after, from September till the end of January, in that type of weather, there wasn't a huge amount left of Ken. And I think that that's just worth highlighting only because it shows the callous nature of the people that did it to him, doesn't it? You know, that they left him in that, that way. There was bones and a lot of them was missing. Um, that must have been a desperate shock for that poor woman. I'm very grateful to her for stumbling across Ken and making the phone call and getting the, the guards up and uh, 
things just went on from there. So that was in 2000, the start of 2010, the end of January, last day of January of 2010. And here we are at uh, 21. <laughs> like, and we're still looking for justice to be done. The guards are working on it, but they're just looking for another piece of information. I don't know what it is they're looking for. They won't tell me. Um, it's part of an ongoing investigation again because uh, I think after a period of time, the case kind of goes to be a cold case and it's, there's just one or two officers assigned to dealing with it. Yeah, I just uh, just think we should probably inform people, you know, that last year um, the guards launched a new cold case, a serious crime review team. So prior to that, I mean, as you say, the case had gone cold. There were no new leads. But the fact that the guards took this on last year, I, I suppose it shows that they, they, they want to solve it and they believe it can be solved. And ha have they have they communicated that to you? Have they have they said that to you? Like, you know, we, we, we think we can we can nail his killers. Well <laughs> I wish they would. Does it give you hope does it give you a new hope, I suppose, that they're still looking at it, you know, eleven, twelve years on? The fact that they have decided to investigate this again with a specialised unit that specialises in cold cases. That in itself has given me great hope that they feel they feel they might get a result. That's you know, that's my feelings on it. I've had meetings with them. I had a meeting with them only the start of this month. And I was told the same thing as I was told towards the end of last year. We're still working on it. It's part of an ongoing investigation and we can't discuss it with you. Now, I understand that. This investigation, this new investigation has gone on since January of last year. Under the circumstances now with this pandemic and the lockdowns, people confined to their homes, not allowed to go too far. It affects the Garda as well. It's affecting their investigation. They can't be coming in close contact with people. Just ask them a few questions. So they're having their difficulties as well in trying to keep the investigation on track, moving forward. Because every time they go to move, <clears throat> the government seems to lock down more and everything gets put back again. So it's it's very difficult for them at the moment under the circumstances. I, I would hope that with the opening up of things now a little bit, they might be able to move a little faster on it. It's a possibility, but I don't know because I don't know what it is they have to go through. I don't know what it is they're looking for. Well, we know there are several people, Brian, who saw your son. They were the last people to see him alive, as far as we can tell. He was seen in an industrial estate in the Knockline area. And as far as we know, this is the last time that he was ever seen. Certainly those people need to be interviewed. Those people need to be spoken to by the guards again, wouldn't you think? I would think so, and I would think that um, that is on their agenda to do if they haven't already done it. This is considered an unsolved crime, but in many ways you have your suspicions as to what happened. Would that be right? 
I'd love to come straight out and tell you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't do that because it could jeopardise a cold case if it ever got to that. Now, believe me, if the guards turn around and tell me that they've gone as far as they can go, they can go no further and they're getting nowhere. I'd have no problem sitting down and having a very open, frank discussion with you and telling you my feelings on what took place. Why do you think your son was murdered? What was the the motive for it? The motive? As I said, Ken was a bit foolish with his money. He loaned out money for stupid reasons, basically. Instead of keeping his, his money in his pocket, he handed out money on a promise that it would be paid back. When he asked for it to be paid back, the payment he got was a knife. It didn't come at him from in front of him. Yeah, and the, and the guards did say to you or did find evidence that your son was stabbed to death. Yeah, Ken... Ken was stabbed to death. He was stabbed quite a number of times. Uh, <clears throat> that was in that came out in the coroner's court as well. Yeah. They were able to tell that by the marks on his skull, uh, his bones, because there was no skin left. It was, yeah. it was just bones. So it was the markings on the bones they were able to identify as stab wounds. And that's what he died of. Well, for somebody to, to stab your son that many times and to then later dump his body in the Dublin mountains and then to make the effort to move the car all the way to another county, it not only shows you, I suppose, that it was a crime of passion that they that they, you know, that they very much wanted to do away with him. It also shows that they made every effort to try and cover it up and get away with it. So it was all pre-planned, you know, premeditated to a degree, would you say? I would put it down as premeditated for those reasons that you said uh, that they knew what they were going to do. Um, that, That had to be, that wasn't just something that an accident Oh, Jays, we, we, like, what are we going to do now? They knew exactly what they were going to do. Ken may not have died straight away. Ken may have lived. Ken, Ken was a fighter. Ken wouldn't have just died, just gone. Ken would have fought for life. Um, he, <clears throat> it, it's hard, it, it's very hard to put it into words, but the easiest thing for the family is, to accept that Ken just died, end the story, quickly. Um, I don't think he did. I think I think he tried to cling on to life as much as he, he could have because of his relationship with his daughter. He absolutely adored her and he would not give up life that easily. He would have fought for life. And whoever did this, the individuals involved in doing this, decided, and it was a conscious decision, he is not coming out of it. He's not going to be able to identify us. And to think that it was all over money, which, I mean, how much money, how much money were we talking, Brian? Roughly. We're looking 16,000, And like that, it was just money loaned. Money he... Uh- Loaned out stupidly. It was a compensation claim that he got this money from. 
Um, he, if, if he had been given back a few hundred euro, a few hundred quid, enough for him to put a deposit on a holiday to Florida, because that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to put a deposit down on a trip to Florida to take his daughter to Florida on a holiday the following year. And there was some deal he saw in the paper that there was deals going cheap. And all he wanted was the deposit for that. They could have paid back the rest of the money over time after that. But all he wanted was 250, 300 euro to put the deposit down. And and Ken got this money from the compensation from the accident. Yeah. Um, he was very trusting. Uh, he, was, he was a bit stupid where money was concerned. He believed money was round, made round to go round. And he spread it around thinking he'd be getting it back. Uh, he was a bit naive that way. Um, everybody was his friend. He never in a month of Sundays would he have thought one of his so-called so-called friends would treat him that way. And you, you are you are you already mentioned, sorry, Brian, that um, that your son was not involved in crime, and that's true. You're you're you had no criminal convictions. He was not involved in any form of criminality. And I think it's important to state that because when people just hear the the bare facts of this case and they hear money was owed. He went to collect money and he was killed. They think, oh, it must be, it must be drug, it must be drug money, or it, you know, it's it's a it's a criminal thing. Um, this this wasn't anything like that. This was out of the kindness of his own heart. He gave people, I suppose, he thought were friends, uh, some money, and they responded in kind. We believe by taking his life. Um, he just he just daft where money was concerned. He- you know, it, money didn't mean an awful lot to him. Once he had enough to get by on, he was happy. Um, he never thought about the rainy day down the road. So that, that'll take care of itself. That's no problem. That'll take care of itself. And uh, it cost him his life. And now we have his his daughter. And she's grown up without a father. She's gone through school. She's supposed to be doing her leaving cert this year. Wow, Jesus. She's gone... Right through school, watching all our school friends coming out. Daddy's there to pick them up, take them out, going off the weekend with their daddies and their mummies. Now she has her mummy. She doesn't have her daddy. Everything she's been involved in. She's a high achiever. She's fantastic at gymnastics. She's fabulous at dancing. This modern type dancing. <coughs> I wouldn't have a clue as to what it's all about. It's <laughs> It's way beyond me. But she's... She's won medals. She's won trophies. He's missed out on all that. Other kids are there with their families, with their mummies and their daddies. She's there with her mummy. No daddy. He'd have been so proud of her. Just, it's, it's terrible. Like, she never got to know her daddy. She was only three years of age. She never got to know him. What's it, what's it been like for you as a father um, to deal with this? the last 12 years, the loss of your son? Very difficult. <coughs> Very difficult. Um, it's not just me, it's all of us. Um, I'm devastated. I I talk to Ken an awful lot, huge amount. I'm always talking to him. Uh, people think I'm mad when I'm out working. You're gone again. 
when I'm out working and driving, I'm talking to Ken. And that's what keeps me going. His mother does a lot of talking to him as well. My daughter, Neve, like Jesus, she's had three kids and she's finding it. She's finding it difficult without her brother around her. Uh, it, it, like we all, they say every cripple has his own way of walking. And in our case without Ken, we've all found ways of dealing with it. Um, different ways and it's so difficult and we want we we want more than anything we want the guards to succeed in bringing this case into court because as you said earlier on a murder money the general idea would be there's drugs involved there was no drugs whatsoever involved nothing whatsoever like that nothing Ken was the innocent victim of one of the worst crimes that could ever be committed on anybody on an individual or a family ken was an innocent victim who paid the ultimate price for being a nice guy and if this goes to court or when it goes to court that will come out and that's what i'm hopeful for i think that's what his mother and his sister is hopeful for as well that his name will be well and truly cleared and nobody will be in any doubt about what a nice guy Ken was. What will it mean for you just to have, apart from that, just to have justice, to have those responsible, you know, caught and locked up? It would mean an awful lot for me. Um, I would die happy. I would I would die happy at that stage. Um, I think the only thing that's keeping me going now, driving me on, is trying to get justice for Ken. I have to keep at it. I'm I'm at the end of my days, work-wise. Uh, I've nothing else to do. Well, I have at the minute, but like, pretty soon I won't have. And this is, this is what I have to achieve. I have to get justice for my son. If I can do that, well, my life will have been worth living to do that, to get that justice, because he deserves it. He deserves it. I knew him, and I knew he was a bit of a devil at times, but he was never in trouble. He was just an ordinary, everyday young fella. There was no badness in him, no badness whatsoever in him. He was just a sound young fella. So, uh, as I say, that's, if I, if I achieve that, believe me, I'll die a happy man. I just It's come to mind that I haven't mentioned that at, at some point during the original investigation, a number of individuals were arrested and they were ultimately a fi- uh, released, but a file went to the DPP over it. So certainly at that point, the guards felt that they had enough evidence to charge certain individuals in relation to your son's killing. But unfortunately, the DPP decided that there wasn't enough evidence there to charge anybody. They were just short of something that the DPP felt could... Uh, prevent the case from being successful. There was just some how, missing link. How frustrating was that to, to have got to that point, to have known people were arrested? You know, w- did you think this was, we're finally at the end of the tunnel and... Look at me, I'm bald. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, it was, <clears throat> it was devastating. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. 
I was furious, but I calmed down eventually. You can't force it to happen. You have to. And something like this, it's it's too big to only half do it. The job has to be done right. And if the DPP wasn't happy, nothing can be done about it. Um, didn't make me very happy, but I, I can see where he's coming from as well. Nobody likes to back a loser. And he wasn't putting his name to something that wasn't going to succeed. But that must have been so frustrating, not only for you, but for the guards involved as well, because they felt, and they must have said to you, you know, we, we believe we have enough evidence, we believe these are the people involved. Uh, and then for it to get to that point where someone else externally makes a decision. Um, and it's, that's it. That's the whole case gone. And it's back to square one. With the amount of work that the Gardaí put in, I think... I think they were horrified that the DPV wouldn't proceed. And I'm not talking about the hierarchy in the guards. I'm talking about the ordinary 4 by 2 guard on the street that was called in to search, interview, put it all together, put the evidence together. All that. A massive amount of work was done on it. Huge. By the ordinary guards. The top guys, all they did was just present it. But the... the, the the ordinary guard that we're all familiar with out there on the street that's bugging everyone at the minute because they're out moving around and they're getting stopped. They're getting pulled for all sorts of things. Those guards, they're the guys that were actually doing the groundwork. And my heart goes out to them that the DPP said, no, they must have been devastated. And I, I couldn't thank them enough for the amount of work that they put in to putting all this together. Like this new cold case unit that's looking after the investigation now. They're putting a lot of work into it. They have a lot of work to do and they're putting a lot of work into it. And a lot of time. And I'm very, very grateful for that, for that. Let's take the cold case aside. Do you feel that the justice system has let you down to date? I would say yes. In different parts of it, um, I would say yes, very definitely. They, they don't have uh, proper family support there to help guide families that find themselves in situations such as this. Looking at it from the other perspective, from the perpetrators of the crime, I'd be saying, oh yeah, Jesus, <laughs> the system is working. Fair play to it. Um, like everybody has their own opinion in relation to that. But uh, from our perspective... I would say we have been let down. Now, maybe the, we weren't let down by the guards. We were let down by a system, a system that's actually broken. The system seems to favour the criminal rather than the victim. And it's not just in murder. It's across the board. The victim is always treated badly by the system. It's a bad system that's in operation. And before before they can start... They can't change just bits and pieces of it. They have to just look at the whole system and change the whole damn thing. The system should never help the criminal. I know the criminal still has to be heard and has his own point of view, which in his head is probably 100%. But the victim is never taken into consideration. Like Ken was the ultimate victim in, in this murder. But there's a lot of other victims 
apart from Ken, there's his, his family. As I say, my daughter has three children now. The youngest is one, just gone one. Those children will never know their uncle. They hear about him. Ken's daughter, she doesn't remember him. Her daddy, she doesn't remember him. Um, his friends, they're victims in this as well. His true friends. And we still meet the lads. And, you know, we we have a chat and we'll have a bit of a laugh and talk about things Ken was getting up to. And, you know, the crack they had at times and... Stuff like that. You know, like we, we have a laugh about it. But they miss them as well. They're victims in this as well. Well, there has to be a mountain of evidence, doesn't there, Brian, to convict somebody? I mean, beyond unreasonable doubt. But, you know, there are certain factors here in this case that certainly point towards certain individuals taking your son's life. And yet, and yet, and yet they walk free. Um. So, I mean, is, is the setup of the system essentially saying you know, you can get away with murder. Yeah, which is, that should never be the case. That should never be the case. That somebody thinks it's okay to murder somebody and just walk away and nobody, I'm untouchable. There has to be a fear there that, Jason, <clears throat> the last thing in the world I'm going to do is murder somebody because I know I'm not going to get away with it. That should be the way they're thinking. But it's not because of the way the, the deck is loaded against the victim. Um, murder is something that should not be tolerated in any way, shape or form in a civilised society. There are people that knows, they know who's involved in this and they're not coming forward because they think they know what took place and all they know is what they've been told by the murderer. So they're keeping his ass covered because they think, oh, he's a great fellow, he's all right. That was all an accident. Well, if it's all an accident, let them come forward. Tell the guards what they know. If the individuals involved in this think they were right in doing it, let them come forward. Stand up and be counted. Be a man, not a mouse. Stand up and be counted. Go to court. Let society decide. But they won't do that. Because while they know they're right, they're so right, they know they're wrong. And they don't have what it takes to be a man. They're weasels. They're the scum of the earth. And now they can intimidate people and all the rest. People are afraid of them. I don't know why people would be afraid of these guys. Why would you be afraid of a weasel? Stand up and give him a slap in the jaw. That's the end of it. He'll run. If you even put it up to him, he'll run. Because he hasn't got the bottle to get involved and stand his corner on his own. He must have a bit of backup. And like people know, believe me, people know about this murder. And they, they just, either they won't or they haven't come forward and told the truth. I appeal to them to come forward, stand up and be counted. And if you really believe your buddy is innocent, let him prove it. Let him prove it. Because I'm prepared to prove he's not. Well, look, I sincerely hope, I sincerely hope that day comes and, and, and sooner than later, Brian. Um, and certainly there's new hope with this cold case, more so than ever before, that this will be solved. Well, we have to stay positive. We have to stay positive. The investigation into the murder of Kenneth Featherstone continues to this day. If you have any information which you feel might be helpful to Angarda Siakana, you can contact any Garda station or call Crime Stoppers on 1800 25 00 25. We upload new episodes of Shattered Lives regularly. Check back here on Spotify and soon on Apple Music for new episodes.